Okay, we're going to get started. I hope everybody can hear. Um, like I did uh, last week, um, there's so much information, and this is so important on a practical level. Um, I did not make a source sheet, because if we would go through the sources inside, there's no way we'd come close to finishing uh, everything that we need, need to finish. Uh, but I try to be, hopefully, as organized as I can, as clear as I can. Um, and uh, last week, we spoke about the mitzvahs of the Seder and all those practical halachos. Um, I'm obviously completely uh, and obviously sensitive uh, to how challenging this uh, yontif can be in anticipation uh, for women. Uh, and therefore, my goal is to hopefully help make your life easier and not harder. Of course, everyone wants to do the right thing, and sometimes the right thing is hard. Uh, but it's not usually as hard as women make it on themselves. Um, I mentioned this, I think, at the end of last week's year as a kind of a teaser, and I'll reiterate it now because I think it's a good... Um, PSA, as they say, public service announcement. Uh, there's two areas, I mean, there's probably more than two, but there's at least two areas in my experience that consistently women are more, are more machmir on themselves than the rabbis. Uh, Pesach and Taras HaMeshpacha. And therefore, I, I always encourage in both areas, uh, even though sometimes uh, it can be uh, sensitive, but it's always worth your while to ask a shayla. Um, almost never will the rabbi be more machmir than the one would, would have been on herself. Every now and then it could happen, and it's still good to know the truth if that's the case. But almost always it either confirms what you thought or is more makel than you thought. Um, and that is somewhat similar uh, on Pesach as well. So uh, I want to focus uh, today's shear on two things which are on everyone's mind at the moment, very practical. And that is cleaning for Pesach and then kashering uh, for Pesach. And we'll try to do so in that order. I may come back to this uh, later in the shear, but it certainly could die at the outset um, I admit, and I probably should try to, I don't know if there are resources, there could be that there are resources in Hebrew or in Israel uh, of a similar level, which I've not yet found, maybe I will one day, but I will say, since we live in a global village and the internet uh, helps us all be accessible to everything, um, the three big kosher organizations in America, all three have incredible online resources, almost all of which is universally applicable whether you're living in Israel or in America. The OU, the Star-K, and the CRC uh, Baltimore, Chicago, and I guess the OU is everywhere. Um, they all have fantastic resources on their websites. If I'm not mistaken, I know the CRC has a great app. I think others may even have apps if you prefer the app to the website. But they all have great uh, resources. And I used, uh, I'm you know, very not embarrassed to say, I used all three of their resources in preparing this year. I may be quoting from them. Um, and often if people who ask me Shilas, I'm really just looking up their website. Uh, in, in areas like this. So if it's easier for you to go directly to them, you should know these are great resources. Okay, cleaning for Pesach. So the first rule of thumb, and this is the, the first and major divergence between uh, housewives and rabbis, um, is that rabbis understand the difference between Pesach cleaning and spring cleaning, uh, which not every time do people in their own home recognize. If you want to use this as an opportunity for spring cleaning, matov manaim, go for it. But please don't blame halacha for your exhaustion. That is not what halacha requires. Uh, halacha requires you to clean with the halachic requirements, uh, such that we'll discuss, for Pesach. So it's important to uh, be aware of that. And if you have a lot of other things going on, maybe this is not the best time for spring cleaning. Don't make yourself mashuga. In case anyone's wondering, you do not need to buy a special toothbrush to use to clean the grout on the tiles of your floor. Uh, which was once a real Shiloh that I was asked. Um, you do not need to clean the grout with an old toothbrush. You don't need to clean the grout, period. Um, okay, so these are you know, things that sometimes people do. And again, it comes from a good place. Um, we are much more machmir when it comes to chametz than we would be typically for other kashras things. There is a certain amount of halachic neurosis. Um, and since there's a certain amount of halachic neurosis, which is you know, part of the program, it's not surprising that good people, and especially people who might be slightly neurotic anyway, you know, can then take it to an extreme. But there is unquestionably a certain level of uh, neurosis that we have in the, you know, in the Shulchan Aruch, so to speak. Uh, but, you know, hopefully we can be balanced about that and not go further than we have to go. Um, before I get to the specifics of people who will be doing very thorough cleaning over the next two, two and a half weeks, uh, it is important to know it could be relevant to people in the room, it could be people relevant to people on the Zoom, and I am sure it will be relevant to at least some people who are going to listen to this recording. There are people who go away for Pesach. A lot of people are going to Chutzlaretz to see their family. Some people might be going away even within Israel. Um, so if you're going away for part of Pesach, you know, you, you're here and your parents live in Yerushalayim or something like that, or in Moshev Matatyo, or wherever people might be going, uh, I have no idea. I'm just saying where people have relatives and stuff like that. So then everything is, is, relevant, is as relevant to you as it would be to anybody else, because if you're going to be in your house for even part of Pesach, uh, from a halakha perspective, you might as well be there for all of Pesach. Um, but for those who are going away completely, uh, for Pesach, so I get to Shaila a lot. 
do I really have to clean? Do I have to do a badika? And the answer, uh, the short answer, this really is, enough, there's enough material here for an entire shear, but the short answer for our purposes is, it is a major machloket if you have to do a badika the last night that you are uh, here. Um, assuming that, most people will take advantage of the opportunity to do a mechirat chametz and sell everything in the house. So do I really need to do a, uh, a, a badika? Um, I think the correct thing to do in such a case is a person should feel free to sell all their chametz. Um, I think it is good to do uh, badika at least on one room of the house. It's important halachically, but it's also very important in chinuch. Uh, especially for people who go away regularly, the idea that your children would go years, if not, uh, like they would never doing b'tikas chametz or never having experience of cleaning anything is bad chinuch. Um, it's, so the recommended option to me, which is not going to make yourself crazy, but it still, I think, satisfies the letter and the spirit of the law, would be to leave aside one room, leave out one room. In fact, the one room doesn't have to be the hardest room in the house, like the kitchen. But pick one room in which you're going to clean that for Pesach as if you were staying home. And you could do a badikas chametz there the last night. Um, if you're leave, anything before the last night of Pesach, Arab Pesach, you don't make a bracha on badika, and therefore you certainly don't need the minhag of the ten pieces. But if that's going to make it more meaningful for your kids, you can do it. Uh, you can do it even then. Um, and when you speak to your rabbi, whether it's me or somebody else, I think it's recommended. Again, this is a whole shear, but I'm just giving you the bottom line now. Um, I think it's recommended if you are relying on this that you're not really going to do a serious cleaning or a serious badika because you're going away and therefore you're selling everything. Uh, there are rabbis, myself included, who will do two, arrange for two mechiras. Usually the mechira is done on Erev Pesach itself in the morning, the 14th of Nisan. But there are poskim Machmir that for people in your situation that I'm describing, to do a mechira on the 13th of Nisan, the day before, so that by the time you get to the night of Erev Pesach, which is really the night of B'dikha Samet, you already don't own anything. This is a discussion, it's two opinions in the Mishnah Bura, but I think that's the more proper thing to do. So if a person is going to be going away, and they want to rely on this by selling everything, but they're going to leave a room aside, etc., then you should speak to your, uh, your rabbi about uh, me or whoever else you might be selling with, whoever ends up listening to this, uh, to see if they can arrange to do an earlier mechira. Okay, now for the rest of us, uh, or for anybody else who's going to be uh, at home, let's get into the details of how to clean. Basically, you can divide up your house, strategically, uh, into three locations. There are the locations which uh, are any room other than the kitchen. There's the kitchen. And then there are the pots and pans, the kalim that you actually you know, use for uh, chametz, especially with cooking. So there are different halachos for all three. Cleaning other rooms, the bedrooms, the playroom, all that kind of stuff. So the goal, again, this is where you have to know what the goal is, and uh, which is not necessarily spring cleaning. The goal is, at minimum, you want to make sure there's no chametz of like real Visible chametz, like a piece of chametz, a candy bar, or this, you know, a pretzel, you know, and anyone, anyone with kids, this is very realistic. Uh, Cheerios, exactly. You want, you don't want to find that, um, if it would really be a kazayas, and you didn't clean it and it was there, that's a violation of Nisr Daraisa, Bayra Bayamatse. So that's really what we're trying to go after, real actual chametz, and not even, you know, teeny weeny bit. Of course, there is a chumrah, we try to find even chametz crumbs. Again, not dirt, dirt's not chametz. Um, but we try to get rid of the crumbs as well. But the real halacha, uh, when you're not worrying about eating anything, is just about uh, kazais. But we try to get rid of even small amounts. Of course, when it comes to the kitchen, so there we have to be much more machmir because we're worried about things getting into food, uh, etc. And there we are very machmir, even on a mashu. It's not just a kazais. Then we are really looking even uh, for crumbs. And of course, when it comes to the utensils, we're most machmir because then even if there are no crumbs, we have the absorbed chametz taste from the kalim that you used um, all year. So when it comes to the utensils, that, that's what we call kashering. That's going to be the second part of today's year. We'll get to that in a moment. But let's discuss now the first two categories, which is the cleaning that needs to take place in other parts of the house and then specifically uh, in the kitchen. So let's start with the more the easier part, so to speak, more space but less thorough, uh, and that is the rooms other than uh, the kitchen. So the reason where we have the endorsed halachic neurosis, if, you want to, if you're looking to, uh, with a geolocator, you want to know exactly where that comes from, Shulchan Arach, Tuf Lamed Gimel, Sif Gimel, the Shulchan Arach says, any place you brought in chametz throughout the year, and even if only maybe you brought in chametz throughout the year, needs to be cleaned and then checked for Badikas Hametz uh, on the night uh, of, of Arab Pesach. So it's that, of course, that point of even Suffolk. You know, you say, well, I, I, who, I told my kids not to eat downstairs. I mean, they know they're not supposed to eat downstairs. Right? But is there a Suffolk that maybe they didn't listen? Is there a Suffolk that maybe your kids ate in a room other than the kitchen? The answer is obviously yes. Uh, 
And the truth is, even for adults, you know, we often do all sorts of things. So if you knew for sure, I get this question sometimes, if there was an area of your house that you knew for sure there was no chametz brought since last Pesach, you do not need to clean it. If you have little kids, there are very few, if any, places that you could honestly say that about. Maybe of a, of a locked attic or something, maybe. Okay, could be. But any bedroom, any playroom, any closet in your house, if you have little kids, it's hard to say honestly that it's not a suffix. Um, so for the most part, this is where the idea that we have to clean the, ho- the whole house uh, absolutely comes from. Um, again, even if you have little kids, there is a solution, by the way, if there's a room that's going to be a particularly uh, cumbersome cleanup job, um, and that is, you, if you are willing to say, and it's practical to say, we will not access that room over Pesach. Right? Just like we know that, you know, for, for the, again, there might be some people in this room, we're not discussing Mechir's comments, that's not our topic today, but there are people, in, I'm sure in the shul I know, uh, and in general in the community, who will not sell actual comments, right? But most of us, myself included, do sell actual chametz. So what, where is it over Pesach? So you have it in those cupboards and then you tape it or you tie it with the chametz and you know, maybe your kids get you a funny thing, you know, but you, you make sure it's not going to be open. So just like you can do that for a particular closet or shelf or cabinet, you could do that for an entire room. So if there was some room, even though you know there was chametz there, let alone it's only a suffix, and you are closing it off, you're tying it up, it's not going to be accessed during Pesach, they don't have to clean that room either. But most people are not going to completely, you know, again, maybe you have a home office and you're not planning on working over Pesach. Okay, so then you can close it off, same way you would close off a cabinet, and then as long as no one's going to go in there. Now, if you plan on going in there or you think there's a possibility that someone's going in there, then I think you should clean it. But if it's a room that you know no one's going to go in and you're going to close it off, then you don't need to clean it. So that would be a huge, if that's relevant to you, that is obviously a huge, uh, a huge, uh, a huge leniency. What about the things that, you know, do I have to clean under my couch, the beds, the refrigerator? Do I have to move the refrigerator? And then, so this is actually a discussion in the Shulchan Aruch. They didn't have refrigerators in the time of the Shulchan Aruch, and I don't even know if they had the kind of couches or tables that we had. I guess tables they must have had. But the Shulchan Aruch does discuss debris, right? If you have some heavy things that fell on chametz, what do you have to do in that situation? This is actually is discussed in Shulchan Aruch. And the halach is, if something is heavy in which you, a, would be very hard to move, and B, you're not planning on moving, you actually do not need to clean uh, before Pesach. You don't even need to check there on uh, Erev Pesach. So what should you do in those cases? You should clean them as well as possible up into around any place that you could possibly um, access. Um, and then, obviously, when you do the Bitu Chametz, which is done twice, it's done the night of, of, uh, of Badikar Chametz, and then again, when you burn the Chametz, we, we do Bitu uh, Chametz uh, twice. Of course, you have all your Chametz in mind, and you can certainly, if you want, even have that specific uh, in mind. So there, again, I'm, when it comes to, let's say, uh, behind the refrigerator, I don't think you really have to do anything. That's the truth. I think what I just described. Again, you want to clean anything that's visible to the eye. But to move the refrigerator to get stuff that's behind it, I don't think it's, again, if you want to spring clean, it's fine. But to say, don't blame the rabbis on that. I don't, I don't think that that's required. Beds, like behind, if you have, you know, kids bring food into beds. In case you didn't know that, they do. Okay, kids bring, sneak, every year, I've, every year I've ever cleaned for Pesach, I found candy wrappers and all sorts of things. Uh, nothing growing yet, but that's just a miracle. Uh, at some point I'll find something growing probably. Uh, but you find all sorts of food there. So there, and especially since your kids are there and they run around the room, there I think, again, if it's too heavy to move, really if it's too heavy to move, somebody have a, okay, then, it's, then it's probably, if it's too heavy for you to move, it's probably too heavy for your kids to move. But in general, you know, under the mattress and behind the bed and even under if there's a little crawl space or something, that absolutely you, have, you absolutely have to clean for that. But something really, really heavy and it's behind that or underneath that, that I don't think uh, you have to worry about. Drawers. Yes, you absolutely have to clean drawers. I think even adults, there's all sorts of food and stuff that surprisingly get left in someone's pocket and ends up being in a drawer, clothing drawer, and certainly for your kids. Uh, for sure, again, my kids have a minhug. They never take the wrappers out of their pockets when they put it in the laundry. It's like they probably, I'm convinced they do it on purpose. Um, I can't tell you every time you take it out of the dryer, all the different wrappers that are there. Um, so if this is in any way relevant to your family as well, so then you know, again, you don't have to, wa- you don't have to clean the, dr- the washer or the dryer. We don't, we don't know anything that becomes edible after that. But, uh, but certainly uh, your drawers and things like that, I think absolutely a person should be careful for. I mentioned before that when we're not worried about eating chametz, we're not talking about in the kitchen, um, the real halacha is only a kazayas. 
But nevertheless, even though that is the halacha, uh, in the Mishaburah does bring down, of course, again, this is where there is a little bit of endorsed neurosis, uh, that it is praiseworthy to try to be machmer, even to clean as much as you can and remove even crumbs uh, of chabay. So this comes up in two common places uh, where I think there's different practices. One is books. Right. Thank God we live in a community where lots of people own lots of svarim. Uh, so you should be aware. And if you ha- if you've heard of this before, you should. If not, you should be aware. There are those. I think it goes back at least to uh, the Vilna Gaon and the Chazanish. Apparently, felt this way as well. They would open up and flip through all the books that they had in their library. Uh, and shake out any crumbs or, or anything like that. Um, that would be a lot of work for some people, but there are people who have such a chumrah. Uh, many, many uh, modern-day poskim, including Moshe Feinstein and Roshlam Zaman Orbach, uh, felt that that's not necessary, that any, in the unlikely event that there actually is crumbs or food uh, in, you know, in between the pages of your uh, svarim, uh, that that would be included in the bittel. Nevertheless, nevertheless, what I would say, and this I think is good practice, any book that you plan on using on Pesach, especially if you knew in advance. I mean, you don't always know in advance, but any safer that you plan on using on Pesach, and especially if you know that you sometimes, you know, nibble or, or snack while you're learning or reading that book, there I think you absolutely should, you know, again, if you can think about that. Again, I don't think you need to go through all thousand of your books at your house, but if there's a, you know, that, for example, that's why we don't use benchers. You know, we don't bring benchers to the table because benchers clearly often get s- s- sticky food and stuff and we bring those to the table. So we, you know, we use Haggadahs throughout the, throughout the Pesach to bench. But, um, but a, a book that you knew, you know, Hilchos uh, uh, whatever, and you're planning, or your story books or whatever Torah stuff you have or other books, um, I don't think you have to start checking every one of your books, but if there's a book that you know you sometimes eat with and you do plan on using over Pesach, if you knew that in advance, then I would probably... Uh, check that. The other area where this comes up a lot is uh, clothing pockets. So again, with kids, I think it's push it, you have to check. Because uh, who knows what could be uh, in their pockets. Uh, but even with adults, I think often, uh, I won't th- say every year, but it's not uncommon that I'll find something in one of my suit pockets or, or a jacket pocket. Um, it's interesting, there is, uh, and that's something that both Ramacha Feinstein or Yaakov Kamenetsky, others brought down that people should check their pockets. Co-pockets. Again, you're not planning on putting on a winter coat over Pesach. We hope the weather's been kind of crazy this winter, but I think we've turned a corner, Baruch Hashem. Uh, but very often in coat pockets, people find uh, food. And uh, again, regard, you know, so we don't want to, we may not be using it over Pesach, but still, if it's sitting in our closet, we wouldn't want to have uh, Pesach uh, chametz there. So I think you should check. It's, it's not even that hard. That, that's a relatively quick thing to do, but I think one should do that. Um, I did see an interesting kula, if this is relevant, keep it in mind, from Rav Yashiv. He said that if you laundered clothing, you took it to the dry cleaner or you had already put it in the wash, and you know for sure that you did not put any chametz in that pocket since then. I don't mean like you can remember the whole year. But just a week ago or two weeks ago or whatever, I took this particular dress or this particular whatever to the, you know, I'm sorry, a dress with pockets, something with pockets. Maybe that wasn't the best example, but whatever would have pockets. Um, I took it to the cleaners. Or, so there, and, and you know for sure you didn't do anything since then. So we assume even in the likely chance that there might have been some crumbs or chametz in there, but the chemicals from the cleaning would have made it anyway inedible, and therefore okay, those things you don't have to clean. So a check, I should say. So if that helps you uh, save you in a little bit of time, I'm happy to save you a little bit of time. But overall, I do think it's a relatively quick thing to do, and I do think people should kind of check their pockets. Again, almost every year somewhere in the house, and it's usually my pants, but it's not only, not only me. Uh, we do find wrappers or, or things like that that you'd want to um, get rid of. Toys. Uh, so first of all, if you have little kids who like Play-Doh, that's a big discussion about whether Play-Doh is chametz or not. And it really might be. And of course, Play-Doh gets everywhere and it's sticky. So you really, if, you, if, if, you, if your kids like Play-Doh, I hope you enjoyed it for 11 months, but it can be a little bit of agmas nefesh uh, in the preparation. So how do you save yourself agmas nefesh? Easy. Just any toy that might have Play-Doh in it, put that away, put it in a box, if you have some you know, moving boxes still, or if you have a particular cabinet. And just like you, on certain parts of your kitchen, you might write chametz and clothes, you can put away toys. Right? There's plenty of things to do over Pesach between the Tiulim and stuff that you'll do with your kids and other toys they have. They don't have to have access to every toy. I hope I'm not the Grinch who stole Pesach. Um, right? So again, if, you, if you're worried that there might be chametz and crumbs in this particular tricycle or whatever, it's got a little, you know, a little thing under the seat, you lift it up and your kid likes to put his toys in there and his you know, cookies in there or whatever, okay? and, and he's going to use that tricycle or you want him to be able to use that bike on Pesach, then you absolutely should clean that. But... Something that you're really, you know, not worried about at all. There's nothing, there's no place that it could have been food, frankly. Um, I don't think you have to worry about it. And again, the, the solution for things where you really are worried, especially if it's Play-Doh related, so then just put it in a box or put it in a cabinet, seal it up and say, you know, not, usually for most kids, 
out of sight, out of mind. Um, you know, again, I know, uh, you know, my kids are a little bit older now, but it's even true for older kids because it's true for adults, but it's totally true for younger kids and it sometimes would frustrate me, but in this case, it ends up helping us, which is that, you know, when they get something, they're very excited initially and then, you know, it doesn't usually take that long for them to get bored by it and then they've already moved on. A lot of it's out of sight, out of mind. So if they have some relatively new toy and all of a sudden they just don't see whatever it is that you had put away in that box, the likelihood that you're going to have some, you know, tense parenting moment where you have to say, no, no, we're not using that so-and-so, such-and-such for Pesach is very unlikely. It might happen, and if it's Plato, it's just going to be too bad, you know, but uh, it's, I, don't, I, I think it's very easy to do, and I think that will, uh, I think that does take care of most of the things. Okay, I'm ready to move on to the kitchen unless there are questions about non-kitchen-related uh, cleaning. Anybody have any non-kitchen-related cleaning questions? Yes? When you do B'dika Chameitz and you put in, like, the rooms that could have Chameitz, although you don't eat in the bathroom, you might, like, Throw out a plate that you were eating, and then you right. go down to the bathroom. But you don't have to put anything and like do the batika in the bathroom. So any no, any any place in which you might have brought chametz, you should do absolutely. You should check, but do you also like? The, what, like the 10 pieces kind of thing? Yeah. So I'm, I, I'm not, I wasn't even giving a whole sheer about the 10 okay. pieces thing. Some people don't even have the minute to use 10 pieces. Okay. And it's in, but even if that is your minute, I, I, the Gottliebs go, you know, grew up with 10 pieces too. Um, not everyone has that minute. It's an interesting question whether you need the 10 pieces. It's a, that's again, it's all, I'm, I'm cutting to the chase on a lot of these things. Uh, but where you put the 10 pieces is random. Okay, so you just check, clean, you clean the bag. Yes, absolutely. Yes, again, okay. yeah, no, yeah, again, it's, that's another newsflash. You know, again, it's, it's not the most uh, hygienic thing to think about, but people, people have been, eating. people have been known to snack in the bathroom. I'm not going to go any further than that. We don't have time to get into it now, but anyone in the Gottlieb family, including my own children, because my mother made sure to tell them, knows that the time that David got in the most trouble, the most legendary Gottlieb parenting story when I got in the most trouble for my parents had to do with me sneaking a thing that I wasn't allowed to eat a snack and bring it into the bathroom because if you want to eat something you don't want your, your mom said you can't eat where do you go you go into the bathroom and then I flushed the wrapper down the toilet but I didn't flush well enough I don't know I didn't flush well enough I didn't ruin the house but the point is the wrapper was sitting there on the top and my mom had already seen it, even as I, with a straight face, was lying to her time after time. And no, I didn't do that. And then I tried to blame the cleaning lady. Maybe she did it. And my mom's okay. We should go call her up. I mean, whatever. It's a, it's a whole story with multiple acts and the chapters and the story. And my, and of course, my, you know, it's everyone's favorite. Bobby, can you tell us about the time Abba lied? This is like a very big part of our our family. Anyway, okay. Uh, what can I say? Weiter. Okay, let's go to the slightly more challenging part. Cleaning in the kitchen. So, crevices of your, uh, of your chairs, right? This is a place where everyone's got uh, crumbs. You should do your best. You should definitely do your best. Again, certain things are like you can't even clean. So just like you can't even clean them, you're also going to be able to eat that comment on Pesach. But you should do your best to clean your chairs, for sure. Any chairs you're going to be sitting in the kitchen or the living room over Pesach, you should absolutely do your best to clean. Um, and again, a lot of chairs, a lot of people have, in our kitchen, for example, we, actually in our dining room too, both of our chair, sets of chairs, uh, there are crevices where there are absolutely are crumbs. Um, you should definitely try to clean them as much as possible. Again, if you, things that you can't get out, so you're okay. Um, if you have some kind of material that wouldn't get ruined by spritzing some caustic cleaner on it, so you could do that uh, just to be, uh, you know, really, really safe. Cabinets. So back in the day, it used to be more common. I don't know uh, about the, the trends of kitchen uh, stuff these days. But if you have more natural wood uh, cabinets and things like that, which ha- tend to have cracks and crevices, etc., and those are really you know, impossible to be really sure you got everything out of those, that's where the custom became, which you know, certainly was Minag America, to line them, uh, to have liners or something like that you know, over all of your, uh, over your things. Nowadays, almost all of the materials that most, I think, the people have, I think it's more popular now is to have smooth shelves. So, for example, in Pnei Halacha, he thinks you don't need to line those anymore. I mean, you, you want to clean them. You want to make sure there's nothing obviously visible. Habits. Again, for some people, and I'm not discouraging it, it's not exactly a lot of work. You know, I grew up lining my shelves. I grew up lining my closets. I'm going to keep on doing that. It's fine. It's a nice hitter. But if you have really smooth, you know, material for micro or whatever it would be, and you know that there's nothing there, so then that's probably, uh, that probably would be sufficient. The refrigerator the refrigerator. So this, again, obviously you should clean very, very well, take everything out. And you, absolutely, you know, things spill all the time in everyone's refrigerator, including Khamet's things. Again, 
an apple isn't chametz, but things do spill, and meat isn't chametz, but things spill, or things were cooked with the meat, or whatever, so you definitely should clean your refrigerator uh, well. Um, if there are spots, like around like the edges and stuff, where you really feel, if, again, if, you, if, you, if, if with your naked eye you look and you can't see anything, then that's fine, if you cleaned it as well as you can. But if there are certain things that are stuck on, and there's gook, and you don't know what the heck that is, and you're not sure, so they recommend spraying it with some kind of a caustic spray, or using soapy water, just in case there is anything there, you want to make sure it's totally inedible, it's, uh, it's nissel from eating. Uh, a big discussion that is in the contemporary kashras, and here you have a slight deviation between the star K and the OU, I didn't check what the CRC says, um, is whether you have to line the shelves of your refrigerator. So very, very common in many of the books, or I or other people bring down, just like you do the cabinets, people do line, again, uh, their, their refrigerator shelves. However, Rabbi Heinemann in the Starke, he's a big, I don't know if you want to say makel, he thinks it's not only not necessary, he recommends against it, because he thinks it could ruin the refrigerator. Um, so the OU, I guess, in response to the Starke, so now if you look on their website, they say you should still line it, but you should poke some holes in the line so the air gets through. I'm not taking any responsibility for, your, for the quality of your refrigerator, uh, if you don't want to, you know, cover the shelves of your um, of, of your refrigerator, you have Rabbi Heinemann and others to rely on. But that is an interesting discussion for those who have little kids and you have high chairs. So, needless to say, a high chair is a chametz uh, heavy zone. Um, again, you want to clean as best as you can. Again, you don't have to be. You can only you can only do as best as you. You do not need to buy a new high chair for Pesach. That's a chumrah I have not heard get invented. Uh, but you should clean it as best as you can. Um, and, uh, you know, any place where you really can't get to, uh, you should, you know, you should use a soapy rag or some kind of caustic cleaner. Uh, some have a custom, and again, if it's feasible, I think this is a, an admirable custom, to use some kind of, either it's heavy-duty silver foil or some kind of other, uh, you know, baking paper or whatever you're going to call it, and then tape that around, you know, the tray where the kid eats from. If you could do that, that's great. But in general, you want to, uh, you want to clean it. Uh, this is, of course, similar to the table. Again, the minog is, again, we, we try to clean, clean our table as best as possible, and then the minog is to cover it. Um, again, what are the odds that there's still chametz, that there was a spill of chametz? You don't know, but this is the minog. Again, when you have, when you're talking about the food and the eating areas, this is where the halachic neurosis does come out, and we do have a minog, uh, to cover and then clean. Again, ikara din, if you didn't cover it, assuming you cleaned it, it's probably fine. But the minog is, and I recommend it, is that you should cover it. Yes. Can I ask a quick question about that? If you cover your table, let's say, with a military tablecloth, then you want to take it off and put on a flation tablecloth. Does it have to be covered the entire time with something underneath? You're talking about on Pesach? Yeah. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, so what I, no, what I, no, what I would do, you know, what I'm saying is I think that you should, before Pesach, take some kind of silver foil or, paper, whatever papers, what's the, what's the word I'm looking for? Not silver contact, foil. Paper? contact paper, that's probably the word I'm looking for. Yes, and then cover your table with that, and then you're putting, then yeah, tablecloth is just so you look pretty, you know, okay. and it's nice. But, but it I'm talking about, covered. yes, I think so. I think so, yeah. Again, if you can, it's not the end of the world if you didn't, but I think, I think that makes more sense. Um, the sink, okay, this is a big thing. So, the sink, it depends on what kind of sink you have. If you have a metal sink, then we'll get to that when we, cut, when we discuss kashering. But our, I don't remember who, and it doesn't matter who, but definitely there are people in this neighborhood, I remember them calling me at various points when they were building their house or making their kitchen. There are definitely people who, more than one, but there definitely are some people who got materials for their kitchen, uh, for their sink, I should say, that cannot be uh, koshered. So what should you do if it cannot be koshered? So the answer is you should cover it. Um, there are places, probably in the Merkaz here, um, I never saw it as a kid growing up, but they always talk about it in all the Sfarim, and I'm assuming that in the, in the Merkaz they would sell, they have these inserts. There are inserts you can buy. If, you, that's, if that's easier for you, then you should do that. Alternatively, either multiple layers of silver foil or some very, very heavy-duty silver foil can also be you know, wrapped around, then you put it over the edge of your sink and you tape it down. One way or the other, if you have a sink that can't be koshered, you do need to do uh, something uh, like that. First, 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 you should clean it. But after that, then you have to cover it. You know, certainly no less uh, than your uh, than your table. What about uh, tablecloths or towels? Do you need to buy kosher for Pesach tablecloths? The answer is you do not. You might want to lechavodiantif, but you do not need to. You should just make sure you've washed it uh, sometime before Pesach, since the last time you used it for a chametz thick meal. And the very act of washing it in a detergent, we assume, even if there would be somehow any chametz on the tablecloth, it'll certainly be uh, fine. 
One thing I would recommend not using uh, on Pesach uh, from all year round is oven mitts and things like that. Things which are you know potentially going to be then touching the food. If you put your hands with the oven mitt you know, in to take out the food, I would not want to be using the same oven mitt that I had been using all year round, which really could have comments. That, I think, is a bridge a little too far. Treat yourself to new oven mitts uh, or buy special ones and make them, put them in your, hum, in your, your Pesach box. These are my Pesach oven mitts. But certainly anything else that's of a linen or a cotton material, like tablecloths, that's just if you wash it, uh, you are totally you're totally fine. Okay, on the cleaning side, I'm done with what I have and I'm ready to go to koshering unless someone else has any cleaning questions. Anyone on Zoom with any questions? And can you hear? Mom, you're good? Thumbs up, thumbs up. Okay, my, my mother-in-law is good. Okay, anyone else on Zoom with a question? No, not yet. Okay, anyone else here? Any, any cleaning questions? Okay, Viter. Koshering. Now again, I want to repeat for koshering. Again, I'm happy to go through a lot of material now in the next half an hour. Uh, but I used a few svarim in preparing. But I also very much benefited from the Star K website. That's star-k.org, crcweb.org. That's the CRC website. Oukosher.org. All three of them have excellent websites, um, and you can you can search on Google and put in whatever particular you know oven. Pesach, Oven Kosher Pesach, and you'll get links to all three websites, or you go to each of the websites and they'll have search, you know, boxes. They're all very, very helpful uh, to use. But let's, you know, let's try to go through a lot of them. So, uh, one thing to be in mind, so we have some actual Torah, but it'll also help you on a practical level, um, whenever, if you have any questions, which is just something from two weeks ago, um, in the Parsha, in Parsha Tzav, um, and that is the premise of, and this explains everything we're gonna do now is gonna fall, is gonna be a result uh, in the next part of this year, is a result of the following single principle. It defines all of kashering and halacha, and that is a principle known as kibol o kach polto, which can be you know paraphrased as the way you used it is the way you'd have to kasher it. Um, so basically, we think of for the most part two or three uh, types of use in halacha. One is if you use something directly on the fire, a grill would be an example of something like that, where the food is placed directly you know, on something and it's you know, directly being cooked by the fire. So that requires a similar process to kosher, known as libun. Um, however, you know, many things that we cook, there's a medium of hot water that's used. Um, and that requires a similar process to kosher. We're just undoing however we cooked. That's how we have to undo it to kosher it. And that's known uh, as hagala. Now hagala, depending on how you used it, we all know whether it's hilchah shabbos or hilchah kosheres, we distinguish. Is it something that was directly on the flame? Is it a klirishon? Is it a klisheni? Something that was subsequently was poured? So we keep these things in mind. And the basic premise is you have to kosher it the same way you used it. Right? We'll discuss a lot of details now, but that's the framework that pretty much explains everything. And then the third point to keep in mind, and this is why there's sometimes more leniencies than people some realize, is let's say something was never used with anything hot, or nothing particularly boiling, right? You just put food, cold food on something. So if it's not hot, whether there was liquid or not, but if it's not hot, then it's sufficient, at least in theory, that you just clean it. Okay? So again, plates is not relevant. Plates you put hot food on. But in theory, if you had something that you only used for cold, then you just have to wash it thoroughly and clean it. Koshering require, in order for taste to be absorbed, that requires a medium of heat, whether it's direct or through water. And if there was no heat, it wasn't hot, then it would not be, uh, a, not, would be a problem. A second point, uh, that's number one. Another thing to keep in mind, which is that somebody smart is thinking now, um, not everything is so binary, Rabbi. Um, some kalium I use, sometimes very hot, Cutlery, certain cutlery, there might be a spoon which sometimes I use to stir while it's on the fire, and other times I just use it, you know, maybe just at the table. It's in, so sometimes I use it with a clearisho, and sometimes I use it with a clicheni. So the answer is if we can identify and you're clear, then you have to kosher it in whatever would be the most machmir way. If this is the kind of thing you sometimes use in a clearisho, and you'd have to use a clearisho uh, to kosher it. If you never did, then you wouldn't. But is the most, anything that you use even, whatever the most intense way you absorb is the way one should be uh, machmer. If it's the kind of thing which you're worried that if you use such intense heat, you might ruin it or damage it, there might be room to be mekel, but for the most part, you have to use it, you have to kosher it in a way that you used it in ever, whatever was the most uh, intense, uh, intense manner. Oh, the zoom disappeared. Rob Shore, what happened? No, I am Rob Shore on the Zoom. I'm using the YU Zoom. I don't know what happened.
Oh, I'm back. Okay, I don't know. Well, actually, I'm not back. No, I am back. But I'm not back as... Okay, I'm sorry. Oh, gosh. I don't know what to do. Okay. Okay, anyway, well, hopefully I guess people have to get the recording. I do not know what happened. This is so strange. Okay. Um, how do I kosher? How do I do Haggalah? So we'll discuss countertops and, and sinks in a few moments, and ovens and uh, kumkums perhaps, and urns and kerug machines. We're going to get to all that later. Um, but let's say pots and utensils. So there we usually use another pot uh, as a koshering thing. So in this neighborhood, there are probably more than one, and there's certainly at least one uh, of these central big koshering places um, you know, everything's a cost-benefit analysis. You, you find inconvenient to go, and maybe there's a line. I don't know exactly. I've never gone. On the other hand, it's all there for you. Yeah, people know what they're doing. You have to worry about yourself, chasasham, getting hurt or burned. And they have these huge, huge things. You can get a lot done, and if you have big pots. So it could be very beneficial to go there. If you're going to go there, you don't have to pay attention to the next uh, 10 minutes or 5 minutes. But if you plan on doing any kind of koshering um, at home, uh, you should be aware uh, of the following. Um, there's, you need a, some kind of a, a koshering pot. Now, that does not have to be a kosher Pesach pot, although if you have one, that's great. Um, but if, even if you don't have a kosher Pesach pot, you can use a regular pot that you plan on koshering anyway. You can use that to become your koshering pot. Um, you have to make sure that you didn't use it uh, for 24 hours before, and that's all. Um, again, the minog would then be, in theory, you could simultaneously then kosher that pot with cutlery in it. But the minog is to, if you're using a pot that you used all year round, don't use it for 24 hours, and then first kosher that. How do you kosher that? So you fill it up with boiling water, and you boil it up until the water is, you know, not only high enough, but then it boils and bubbles and somehow goes, spills over, uh, over the edges. Then that pot is now kosher le Pesach, and then you could use that as your uh, koshering uh, uh, pot. Um, I think I gave this advice in the past, and if I'm not mistaken, I think I got the advice from Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg, my friend, and I think it's good advice, which is, if it's, if it's possible, and this year it could actually work very nicely, um, he recommended, and I've said this in the past, it just could be convenient for you to do it on Moshe Shabbos, because you haven't used it for anything hot for 24 hours, right? Unless you were cooking on Shabbos, then you have a different problem. But, but if, if you stop cooking at Erev Shabbos, you're pretty much by definition guaranteed you, you had a built-in 24 hours where you didn't have to lose a cooking day because it was Shabbos anyway, and then you do it on Moshe Shabbos. If, if it's more convenient if you do a different day, that's fine. It's just advice. Uh, but we've done that in the past. I think two years ago, uh, when we were home for Pesach, we did that on, on the Motei Shabbos. Um, anyway, okay. So let's uh, try to get through a lot of the big examples as we can in the next 20 minutes. So if you have a stainless steel sink, um, again, you want to wait 24 hours. Um, anyway, so we'll get to the cutlery. And bottom line, so cutlery is the same thing. You, you throw it in. Just be careful when you take it out. And that's easy. If you have smaller pots, um, you just put the smaller pots into the big pot. If you have a big pot, A, either go to the Merkaz, uh, that's probably the best thing to do, uh, or if really that's impossible, then there might be leniencies to kosher it in different stages, but it's really better to try to do it all at once, and if you have a really big pot that you can't figure out any other way to kosher, I would recommend if you could going to one of these local places where they have these huge, huge pots. Okay, the sink. So again, you want to wait 24 hours, you have a stainless steel sink, you want to clean it uh, very, very well and make sure it's dry. And then you need to, you know, using whatever your your kosher uh, pesa, your your uh, your source of uh, hot water, uh, you want to boil up hot water, um, and you can use a kumkum or something that has a spout. Obviously, is going to be easier. And then you need to pour the hot water. Again, you have to be careful. Uh, you don't want to hurt yourself. Things splash. Uh, but you have to pour the hot water, and you have to be careful. It's pretty much impossible to do all at once because you don't want what would naturally happen. This is insufficient. Where you pour the water and it hits spot A, and of course. The natural forces, it splashes everywhere. It's true everywhere, but that's not what we want. We want it to have been hit by the water directly coming out of the kumkum, not running over the edges. So you try, again, it's, it's probably impossible to do this with scientific precision, but you try, and I remember the last time we did it, it took a few, you know, how big is a kumkum? It took a few times, but you do it, you know, from right to left or left to right, whatever is easier for you, and you just go, you know, up like this. And then like this, and then you just try, you know, if it takes two or three times, uh, you do it until you can uh, clean out the entire thing. Yes? You wait 24 hours and then clean it, or you clean it and then wait 24 hours? I always... 
Um, you know what I mean? Like, so you don't use the sink. Yes, I would clean it. Clean, clean it then. Clean it and then wait yeah, 24 hours. Yeah, yeah. So it it's ready to cost. Yes, yes. I, I, again, or assuming that it, if it was cold, it wouldn't matter so much. But I, I would clean it for if, if you if you've forgotten and you called me, I probably would say it's okay. Clean, clean, clean wait 24 clean. hours. Yes, clean first and then wait 24 hours. Yes. If you don't use the sink, like, could you use? The sink for cold and yeah, yeah, probably, no, yes, it. yes, but certainly, again, I, I would be nervous to use it for anything with actual chametz. Um, right, no, yes, 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 you turn, turn on the water. Yes, yes, you're just not, not hot, correct, that's correct, not hot, and I certainly wouldn't want any food in there, you know, and stuff, uh, certainly not with anything hot. Um, the faucet itself, the actual faucet also should be cleaned carefully, and a lot of this firm, you know, recommend boiling hot water over the spout uh, of the faucet uh, as well. What about your countertops? So again, this I've had discussions throughout the year with various people and this year and in previous years when they were building their house. Um, so again, a lot of it depends on what material you have. I'm not an independent expert of this. Uh, but again, the CRC and OU, they all have different websites that list uh, the things. So natural stones and even some of the composites like a Caesar and Silstone and Granite, those are all kosherable, and that's what we'll discuss how to kosher. Uh, I'm not sure. There are people who have materials like Corian or other things like that, which... The experts say you cannot kosher, so I don't know if that's if that's relevant. Then you're going to have to cover it. You'll cover your countertops like you'd cover a uh, like you'd cover a table. But if you can kosher, so it's the same uh, basic idea. Again, I remember you know uh, you want to again. People often put you know hot pots or directly onto their island or their countertops. Things spill all the time. Of course, there's definitely really uh, again. So first you want to clean it, but there's definitely a reasonable fear uh, that there was spilled chametz that was hot over the course of the year on people's countertops. Uh, I think that's very realistic, and therefore you. You want to clean it, and then afterwards, you you know, again, makes sense to try to do all these things at once on that same Moshe Shabbos or whatever. Again, you fill up your kumkum or you fill up a big pot. You just want to be very careful. Again, you really you want to kick. It's not the kind of thing to do with your kids, in my opinion. You want to be very careful <laughs> saying yes. this. Yes. They she used ran, to make us catch out with the towels. running around because I had a cash from the counter. So they'd all go around. Okay, and no one got burnt, thank God? No, thank God. Okay. No, but it could have happened. Yeah, no, okay. Didn't. Okay, so I personally would recommend to probably... Okay, fine. We'll, we'll discuss... They weren't, they weren't five. We'll let you guys work this out another time. Um, so um, anyway, basically similar idea to the, to the sink. You want to just go you know, line by line, row by row, up and down. It takes a few times. Depending on how much counter space you have, uh, and uh, and then you you know if you if you pour over the hot water that way uh, you know your sink is voila, uh, you, I mean your countertops are voila ready to go. Now I'll tell you the truth, you know two years ago in the pandemic when we were all home it was the first Pesach we had we had just moved into the neighborhood that was the first Pesach of uh, of our neighborhood, so was, I was so excited to be able to do this like you know I. I I made it, right? I have kosherable countertops. Um, it would have been much easier just to cover. <laughs> On a practical level, it is much easier just to cover. Again, I think a lot of people, myself included at the time, it's like kind of a status thing almost, like, you know, I have kosherable countertops. Uh, or it just looks prettier. You know, who wants to have silver foil or, you know. But I remember as a kid, it was an uncommon thing. People sometimes even had custom-made these Formica cut-ups, you know, that exactly fit. You know, if you, if you want to, again, it's up to you. If you want the nice, beautiful countertop which you love all year round to be able to be visible and usable on Pesach, then the, and you can and you have the right material, you can kosher it. But if you want to look for the easiest thing to do, the easiest thing to do is not the koshering thing. The easier thing is either to buy one of those uh, covers or just to use silver foil or you know heavy duty uh, heavy duty silver foil. Okay, now let's get to things which are yeah, please. Is it a backsplash? Did you do anything? Just clean it. Just clean it and don't lick it. You know, I'm patient. <laughs> again, again, and, and it's a good question because there's no question. That's why it's called the back splash. Of course, things splatter on that throughout uh, Yantiv, uh, throughout the year, I should say. So I would definitely clean it. You know, and you would have cleaned it anyway. I'm just saying. But even even if you uh, didn't get around to cleaning it for aesthetic purposes or hygienic purposes, I would clean it for Pesach purposes. But I wouldn't worry about anything more than that. I don't think. Yeah. What do I have to do to be able to use? People kosher it. They take it. They... Yes, it's the minug. It's the minug. It, it, it takes a second. It's easy, but yes, that is the minug. Um, okay, the burners. Let's get to ovens and burners and stovetops. This is obviously where the real action is. Uh, you have heat. You got chametz. This is really not a chumra anymore. Now we're talking about like you know or or minug. This is like real, real so to speak uh, halacha. Um, so the truth is, again, this is important. I just want to clarify. On the one hand, it's quote-unquote real halacha. On the other hand, even this is a chumrah. Why do I say even this is a chumrah? An endorsed chumrah, not a neurotic chumrah, like a halachically endorsed neurosis chumrah. Why? Because you use the same, leave aside oven for a minute, 
Although until like recently, everyone had one oven, like all of Jewish history. I mean, or whatever, as long as there were ovens, right? It's only a new thing that we are rich enough to have two ovens. But, can't, but, but even people nowadays, how many people have a milchik stovetop and a fleshik stovetop, right? That is very, very rare. Again, if you have it, because it's eight. But the, how come the rest of us, the Gottlieb's included, use one stovetop? Is it an eye? Is it a of its heat? The answer is, the assumption is, yes, of course, the milk, sometimes, uh, the, the milk soup sometimes spills. And then on Friday, the chicken soup spills, of course. But we assume that the, fa- the heat is so intense, it's getting burnt up right away. So the truth is, just like you use the same you know, oven uh, cooktop to cook milk as a fleshik during the week, in theory, you should be able to rely on that even for Pesach. But the answer is, we don't rely on that. We don't rely on that. We do kosher um, cooktops uh, and burners. So, of course, there are basically three components, right? There's that magash area, like the the, the tray part. If, whatever, whatever, I don't know. I forgot to say anything in English anymore. Um, you know, then you have actual burner, whether and then you and then, whether it's electric or um, gas. And if you have gas, then you have the grate on top of it. So, it's either two or three components. So, let's go through that. So, that the place in between the burners, the tray area, whatever the right word would be, so there you clean it well and then you cover it. Again, there's no question things spill on that all the time. Um, and it's almost, if you have a metal one, in theory, you could kosher it. But it, it's, most posts can recommend covering that. And certainly, if you have a non metal one, it's certainly impossible to kosher. So, that the minog is to try to cover it. People put food down there all the time, things spill. You don't want to have to be thinking about it. I would recommend, uh, and by the way, the OU for sure, maybe the other organizations too, they also have like a lot of these like two minute videos, you know, how to cover, how to do this for the other. So if, if, if you're like more of a visual learner, there's like how to videos, Reverend Ramon has videos from a few years ago, the OU has some videos from recently, there are like two minute videos for everything. So that's also just something to keep in mind. Um, in terms of the actual, actual burner, um, so there we need what's called Libun Kal. We don't need to like nuke it like a suckling oven, which we'll get to in a minute, but you do want to make it uh, as hot as possible. So if you have an electric burner, I don't know how common that is in Israel, but if you have an electric burner, you want to turn it on high and wait until it gets red. I don't know how that takes, 10 minutes, it takes 15 minutes. Once you've done that, again, you've cleaned it first, I should say, there shouldn't be any residual actual food, mamoshas on there, but then you wait till it gets red hot uh, and you're fine. Um, when it comes to the um, if you have gas, so then you have two components, right? You have the, the burner itself, and then you have the grate that's on top of it. So for the burner itself, again, first you want to just take out the pieces, you know, clean it a little bit, which again, you might do on a semi-regular basis anyway. Uh, so you just do that also for Pesach. Um, and then when you're going to turn on the fire in a second to clean the, to kosher the grates, it's going to be a kosher, uh, the burner itself. Uh, how do you kosher the grates, assuming you have a, a gas oven? So you want to make sure that the heat, even in the far part, even the part that's furthest away from the oven, uh, from the from the burner, I should say, you want to make sure that the heat um, disperses equally. And basically, you need it to get as hot enough. Uh, in the Shacharach, they describe like if you you take like a piece of straw or something uh, and you touched it, could it singe? Okay, so. No one has straw to do that anymore. So some of the older books used to say use paper to try to do that. I remember when we first started making Pesach in Baltimore. I had just turned 30. It was the first year we made Pesach at home. Um, a little younger than most people are making. We were hosting family for at that age already, but that's because I was a rabbi, so I wasn't going away at the time. Um, and um, I remember trying to do the paper, and I was like, well, I was like screaming, you're going to burn yourself. You know, it was a miracle I didn't. Uh, so I don't think you have to do that, especially it might be a little bit dangerous. But what you... They do recommend, you know, whether it's probably at least 15 minutes turning, uh, you know, your burner, you know, the, the fire on high. Um, something that is probably a, a safety benefit and a halachic benefit. Um, you know, it's kind of scary to have an open flame like that going for a while. Um, just scares me, even if there's no kids around. Um, but also, halachically, um, it is a way of covering that, which could be a little bit safe for safety, but also it will, in a way, disperse the heat. A lot of these organizations recommend that. That was a very clever uh, idea is to put either some kind of a blech on top, heavy-duty blech, or even take uh, a big chicken soup-type pot filled with water. If you don't fill it with water, you might ruin your pot. Uh, but fill it with water and just put it over the burner when you're koshering because that'll disperse the heat. A pot? No, you take a... Well, once... It, something that was... Ca- yeah. Because if it's not kosher, right? No, but the right, but first of all, the heat, the heat, the, the that intense heat will will kosher it anyway. Yeah. But just or take a pot that you already kosher it. Either way, the point is, but you put it, you've already cleaned it. You put on, you, then you, yes, yeah, that again, or 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 some kind of a plata or something like that. It's it, again, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. But some people find that helpful, a for a safety perspective, and b it kind of disperses the heat even to the more outer parts um, of, of the uh, of the grate. Um, 
if you have like an so again, some people I don't know how common it is still, but it used to be very common to have like an enamel uh, thing, right? So apparently, from trial and error, if you did all four at a time, people have ruined their enamel. So if you have enamel, you probably only do two at a time or something like that. If you have um, stainless steel, probably less of a worry. Yeah. Did you say the stainless steel under the burners? You should do Hagala again. If you look, not Hagala, just no, just cover it, clean and cover, okay, clean and cover. Yeah. If you look at the OU video, they you see them the cleaning uh, and covering. Yes. But you can kosher. You you don't have to cover it first. You can kosher. Like, should you cover it with foil and then turn on all your grates? It doesn't matter. I don't think it matters. It does okay. not matter. It does not matter. Okay. Um, blah, blah, blah. If you have a glass stovetop, I was asked this question uh, even, I think, this week. Um, a glass stovetop, if we were just giving a, a shear on the Torah part of this, it would be an interesting discussion. If it's theoretically kosherable, the answer probably is yes. But practically, it's not really kosherable because the level of heat is most would be very risky for breaking it. So pretty much everyone recommends all the Starcade, the CRC, though you all recommend if you have a glass stovetop, it's better just to uh, just to cover it. I don't know if it's anyone who's listening now, but uh, there's at least one person in the shul, because I remember two years ago, someone asked me about an induction uh, cooked up. I didn't even know what an induction was. It's very cool, actually. I read, I read up a little bit on it. Um, so the Starcade, I think, is I remember seeing at the time, they discussed induction. So for anyone who's going to listen to this who has induction, uh, that should be thoroughly cleaned, left unused for 24 hours. And then you take, like, you know, from your kumkum, you boil up water, and then you pour it over, just like you're pouring over uh, a countertop. If you don't have an induction, and if you don't know what it is, ignore that. But that was 15 seconds for whoever has an induction uh, cooktop. Ovens. So again, there's basically two types of ovens, at least theoretically, the self-cleaning and the non-self-cleaning. If you have a self-cleaning oven and you're not, some people don't like using it. They're scared, they think there are fumes. Okay, so then ignore what I'm about to say. But if you have a self-cleaning oven and you don't mind using it, so that is by far the easiest and the best thing to do. You don't have to wait 24 hours. You don't have to clean nothing. You just nuke it. Um, that uh, the temperatures are insane, and that is considered, you know, the mahadran of mahadran of all uh, of all koshering. You might want to keep windows open in the room, um, but to just for health purposes, um, the one thing you should clean though is the inside of the front oven face, because apparently that doesn't get as hot as the rest of it. I don't know how that's possible, but apparently that's what they say. You should uh, you should try to clean that. Okay, if you don't want if you don't want to do that, or you don't have such an oven. What should you do? So the answer is, first, you clean off all the surfaces. You clean your oven very well, including the grates. I mean, including the, sh- no, the, the shelves and stuff, obviously. Um, the racks, excuse me. Um, you know, better with a caustic cleaner because there could be stuff that really is hard to get off. Uh, but uh, you do it as much easy off or something like that. Um, don't use the oven for 24 hours. You, you cannot use the oven. Again, that's why most of Shabbos comes very convenient. Um, and then you turn it on to, you know, 500, 550, whatever, you know, pretty much the highest setting could be for about an hour. Um, that should be considered sufficient. And if you have the racks in there at the same time, that is totally, uh, totally fine. Um, if you have a broiler pan that come, that you put steaks or meat directly on, that should not be kosher that way. That would not be sufficient to kosher that way. And that probably should not be used uh, for Pesach. On the Star Web, Star K website, they point out that if you have over your, let's go back to the stovetop for a second, hoods and exhaust fan filters, etc. So again, those the whole premise is that they get very dirty. So you should definitely you don't have to kosher them, but you should try to clean those. Um, I don't know how hard that is because I don't have one, but uh, but if you have a hood, uh, then you should try to clean that. Warming drawers, pretty much all the websites are are against using warming drawers on Pesach. Just close it up. Uh, and I don't have you know how common those are in Israel anyway. Warming drawers, but in America it's a big thing. Yeah. Um, so I have self clean oven. However, the instructions say take out the racks and the rails because you don't want to. Uh, so the, the question is, I'm taking no responsibility for no, what no, you. No, 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 no. So, so if I have to take those out and I could self clean the rest of it, then I'd have to put them back in and then burn it again. For anyway. yes, yes, yes. Okay. Next, uh, a blech or a plata. So these things are not expensive. And I strongly recommend buying a new blech or a new plata for, uh, for Pesach. Uh, there are ways to kosher it, but I, I wouldn't. I would definitely, again, it's not expensive at all. Anyway, if you have a blech or a plata, you should buy a new one for Pesach. What if you use an electric uh, hot plate? Um, so, which is, for example, what we use. So you should clean well. You don't use it for 24 hours. Then for an hour or two, you turn it on its maximum heat, which is not so hot to begin with, and then cover it, and then cover it with aluminum foil. Yeah. No, the electric hot plate. Okay. Plata is not the same thing as electric hot plate. Plata is like a blah. The one that you plug in. The yes. Plug in, that's plata. Oh, sorry. 
Okay, well, sorry. Okay, sorry. Put on the stove top. a blur. Okay. Yeah, so the thing you plug in is a platter. Yes, you can. You, you get a new one. You don't have to. No. You don't have to. If you you can get a new one. Okay, great. It's good. It's fine. It could be easy. Yes. Okay. Okay, great. Next, microwaves. So when I was growing up, and I and even like recently as fifteen years ago, I, I I seem to remember everyone saying not to use microwaves over Pesach. Uh, but in recent years, it's gotten much more common and much more acceptable. Uh, this is, was especially during Corona. But even before Corona, I think it's much more common now. Every 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 kosher agency gives you their tips on how to uh, how to kosher uh, microwaves. They're not exactly the same. I'll tell you what the OU says. If you have a particular preference for a CRC or Star K, just go on their website and you can find out. Uh, but basically, you want to clean it thoroughly. Because um, again, microwaves are notoriously filthy, of course. Um, don't use for 24 hours, um, and then you'll kosher it. Now, the issue is this is important, at least I can't know about the other ones, but certainly for, I think the OU and the CRC, maybe they start K, I don't know. Um, the one issue which you have to be aware of if you're going to use your microwave or a Pesach is that we assume as Ashkenazim that the glass turn plate is a problem. Um, so that you just need to buy a new one, or I actually just tried it this morning because I was just curious. You can take it off. And assuming you have a you know relatively balanced plate that you're going to put on top of it, you know that you're going to then warm up your food or whatever, it's fine even without the plate. Who knew, right? Uh, but Pesach requires us to. Th- okay, some people have lost plates. That that that, that little me- metal round thing that actually goes underneath the plate to keep it really balanced. In one of our microwaves, we lost it. So and yet it's still okay. So anyway, um, basically after the 24 hours, you, can, you want to kosher it. Uh, you want to take some kind of a cup. They recommend a styrofoam cup. It doesn't have to be styrofoam. You fill it up with water and you turn on the microwave for about 10 minutes until it gets you know, hot, hot enough. You, some, you can look in, you can see steam. It takes a, a while for... If you ever tried to heat up soup in a microwave, that's actually not what microwaves are probably really meant for. That takes a lot longer than for other things than macaroni and cheese or something like that. So it does take a while to get water hot enough that it really steams up. Um, some, of the org- some of the books or organizations just say you do that once and you're done. It happens to be the OU. They're worried that if you do that once, maybe the steam didn't get to all the places. So they say then do it a se- move the cup to a- another place in the microwave then do it a second time. If you're neurotic, do it a third time. It's hard for me to know. I can't give you more advice than that. But that's basically the process um, of koshering a microwave on uh, Pesach. Again, glassware in general. This just came up in the men's year in Shul two weeks ago. I discussed this. Um, again, a whole topic. The bottom line is Sephardim will, will kosher glass and use glass from all year round. Ashkenazim do not use glass, kosher glass uh, on Pesach. So an opportunity to buy new cups um, if that's what you uh, want or need to do. Cutlery already mentioned um, any cutlery that has been used you know on the fire so you need a large clean pot you know it could be again it could have been a hummus stick pot that you first koshered or it was always your Pesach pot you boil the water then you uh, you put your, your your you know your your forks or your spoons you know in there for two or three seconds um, you know uh, and that and that would really be uh, that would really be enough um, pots again we mentioned in the pots what to do again the easiest thing is if, especially if you have big pots is to take it somewhere but if not you just fill it up with water and then uh, again if you can do you know if you have something that's also very hot that you can then put in to kind of push the water over uh, that's considered uh, you know even better frying pans in theory are uh, kosherable you have to clean well and then you kosher it again by putting it on the gas fire and turning it up you know for 5-10 minutes the same heat that you would have used uh, when you cook it I would not use grills I get this question asked every year uh, I would not use a grill even if you bought new grates even if you're willing to turn it on uh, maybe other rabbis will give you a kula I will not I don't think you should use your grill um, uh, over Pesach um, Instihots or urns so an Instahot, if you have like uh, something like that, uh, you just pour boiling water you know, over it, and that's sufficient. Um, what about the hot water urn? So if you are one of the rare people who doesn't heat up your challah on top of your urn, uh, or put food on top of the urn like on Friday night to like get a little hotter, okay, so maybe it's only us? Um, how do you keep, no, I've done that. Uh, yeah, so if you've done that, if you've done that, so to say bye-bye to your urn for Pesach. Um, if you haven't done it, so then most posts can say, again, if you look, for example, at Rabbi Eider's book, he recommends anything that's used in a kitchen and hot, just don't use it for Pesach, because you never know what could have happened. But, um, but the Starcade, oh, you, they all say an urn is, again, it's not the most expensive thing to buy, if you want to buy a new one. But if you want to kosher it, basically, uh, you just, you heat it up with the boiling water, and then you kind of turn on, you know, and then empty, you know, you do, you about 10, they say 10 seconds of boiling water through, you know, you pour on top, you know, 
it's just, again, it's the same premise. Again, the odds of that really being chametz is almost nil anyway. I think it's a pretty big chumr to begin with. Uh, the only fear is that, you know, since it's on the countertop, and all sh- every Shabbos, and it's also hot, so maybe something splattered on it. So if you fill it up with water and you turn it on, you wait till it boils, you turn it on the spout, let 10 seconds the water comes out, pour the water on top of the spout, uh, and you would be uh, you would be done. Similar with your kumkum. Again, if you want to, again, kumkum, kumkums are incredibly cheap, so it might be a good kadah just to buy a new kumkum. But if a person wants to, you know, use your kumkum, the same kumkum, fill it all the way up to the top, turn it on boil, and then pour it, you know, out through the faucet, uh, you know, pour out the spout, and, and you would be uh, fine. But the kumkum in particular, and this is also true for your urns, in Israel in particular, uh, you should probably try to get rid of the salt deposits, you know, uh, if you you know if you're doing it anyway, I would try to get do that get rid of that before you did the boiling water. Um, if anyone has a coffee machine, an espresso, or a kerog that you feel you absolutely need for Pesach, I know for a lot of people that's actually not a guzma. Um, and I th- if I'm not mistaken, I think for both there are kosher Pesach pods. Uh, that one can get, thanks to Amazon or whatever, uh, even in Israel. Uh, so if you go to the OU website, they actually have a special thing for Kerrig machines, and I assume it's the same for Nespresso's. Um, but there is a way they think that to kosher it, you wouldn't use it for 24 hours. You remove something they call the K-cup. I don't even know what that means. Um, I'm not a Kerrig person. Uh, and then you perform Haggallah on that. Um, and then you do, you do one, after you've done that, don't use it for 24 hours. You did Haggallah on this K-cup thing. So then they say, take after you've done that, then take one of your kosher Pesach pods and run it through once. Uh, before Pesach, and then, uh, and, then you are, uh, and then you are set. Dishwashers. Tommy Arba? I think it's the same thing. I, I think as, as long as you, you want to clean it, I wouldn't use it for hot for 24 hours, and then I would pour some hot water on the spout or something, and you'd be fine. I think so. I think so. I don't, it shouldn't be any different than these other things. I don't see why it would be different than, a, than an urn or anything else. Okay? Okay, there are people who don't, don't kosher plastic, but then they also probably wouldn't be koshering your microwave. But if you kosher your microwave, which I assume is plastic, and you, so I think there's no reason, to, again, again, there, are, there is a mentality, and you will find it in Svarim, and I don't think it's crazy to say anything that's hot, that's used near Chomets, don't use for Pesach. But it seems to me that these things would be kosherable. Um, dishwashers has been a point of confusion only because um, I think most people grew up not koshering dishwashers. Even though Ramosha Feinstein has famous chuvas, Ramosha Feinstein allows you to do it and he tells you how to do it. But Minag America and Kabbalah Homer, Minag Israel, I think, was not to rely on that. Um, but what people got confused by, uh, even in our community, was that many, many postgame, and I personally conveyed this to the shul two years ago, were makel during the first wave of corona. Um, but that was like a, thank God, a first wave pandemic heter. Uh, I would not use, I personally would not recommend and would not use the dishwasher, uh, during the year, uh, during, for Pesach. Um, if, if you're having a big Seder and it's going to be too much work, so, you know, you'll make a personal shiku, maybe then buy nice paper if you're worried that it's going to be too much work with the dishes. Um, but I would not use the dishwasher. Uh, for those who, Need their soda streams. Uh, apparently, that's quite easy and can definitely be used in one of the OU on Pesach as well. It should just be rinsed. And uh, you should buy new bottles, though. You shouldn't use the same bottles. But other than that, the actual machine, assuming you have, uh, you know, Koshla Pesach pods or whatever the right word is, should be fine. Yeah. So we use syrups, and like there's been times where people accidentally put the syrup in first and then put it for the bubbles in the soda stream. So it had like syrup around it, but it's cold. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. I think just wash it up, make sure as long as it's clean, it's fine. Again, I would, you, they say you're getting new bottles. You should get new bottles because it could be kidneyos or whatever else. I mean, it's not really hummus probably. It's probably just kidneyos. It's probably, no, most it's kidneyos. Okay, paper goods. Again, I think, again, there are people who are, you know, you will see, you cannot avoid it. There are paper goods that will have big hashkachas on them and markups. It's almost hard to find anything. Of course, in America too. You can find this. Correct, correct. But, but I'm telling you it's not necessary. I'm telling you it's not necessary. It's a little bit of a scam. Um, it's not necessary. So again, if you if you could find without it, I think it would still be mutter. But you you might not even be able to find uh, without it. Um, for those for this is relevant to have babies at home or people on bottles. So most formulas are kitneyos. Um, again, for the kids themselves who need the bottle, kids are allowed with kitne, allowed kitneyos. But A, you should probably buy new bottles. People recommend that you use bottles, and you shouldn't wash it with your other dishes um, throughout the year. Uh, but uh, that should be fine. Um, I'm trying to think. I think for koshering and stuff, we're done, unless there's any questions. Well, what, what did I cover? 
What random question, not exactly about this, but being from America, are, it, does the same hold here in Israel, like shampoos and body wash and soap? Do we have to... Again, okay, that, like, that's a mo- so I don't know. I don't know if there's a list in America in Israel. I should say, like there's uh, in America. Do I have to look for. But if you so that's a question even in America. So that's a major machlokas, and I hold like Chicago over Baltimore. Uh, even though I lived in Baltimore for six years, even even in Baltimore, I said that publicly. And the tie the, to break the tie was the OU because OU holds like Chicago, not like Baltimore. The Star K, like others, produces a list. So the CRC, very famously, it happened to be it happened while I was in Baltimore. The CRC with Rabbi First, they got a whole panoply of Chicago postkim. Not only the CRC, but it was under the CRC letterhead. Came out basically saying that in, in almost no situation would you have to worry about shampoos I just didn't know and if things I can like carry that. that over here to Israel. Uh, I think so. I think like, okay. the Gottliebs do. Um, um, now again. Again, this, it's, again, it's a very practical question, not, not directly the topic of the shira, but I'll just mention. Again, things which are syrup, liquid things, is, there is a minute to be machmer on. You know, Moshe Feinstein, for example, was machmer even on something like deodorant, because he was worried um, that if somebody was an alcoholic and they had no access to other alcohol, they would even take this denatured uh, alcohol, right? I don't know how likely it is, but he was... So, think, so again, if you have access, most of the deodorants or, the, or, 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 or perfumes and stuff, again, those, that, that's where these lists can be helpful because most of them are actually okay anyway. Uh, once upon a time, I gave a whole shear on this. I think it was maybe in Ramachilo, I don't remember. And like, I remember all the, I don't want to, you know, the different types of alcohol, which ones were the problem. I, don't, I didn't review that last night, so I don't remember the names. But that's where the lists or emailing the OU or something can be helpful um, if you're worried about that. Also, anything that we put in our mouths. So that's why kosher le Pesach, uh, I think, finding toothpaste and lipsticks for women you want to buy. You know, treat yourself. Um, if you really can't treat yourself, then you can kind of like cut off the top of your uh, old lipstick. Um, but really, I would say just treat yourself. Um, anything you're putting, again, we're, ner- we're nervous about things that go in our mouths or, or near our mouths. Uh, and liquids, again, I would say medicines in general. Uh, for, for pills, uh, I wouldn't worry about it. If you have like for the for, you know, cough syrup for kids or stuff like that, again... So the, again, so there are lists. I don't know. Again, there are American lists. I don't know. It could be the Israeli list that people know better than me. You guys help me. The coupon. Okay, great. And and usually, uh, kids' neurofen syrup is not on the list. A lot of people don't know that. So you shouldn't use it. You shouldn't use it. Yeah. Okay. So it probably has only kidney. Yes, I was about to. I was about to say the medicines almost always. The issue with the kids. The issue with the kids' medicines yeah. is the flavoring, and that's almost always kidneyos. So if your kid is, A, a kid, and B, sick enough that they need the medicine, it's probably mutter. So again, if it's easy enough to get a thing, the same medicine which your kid will take that doesn't have the kidneyos, then why not? Um, again, if you're Sephardi, then, you have the, then it's better for you. Uh, but if you're, if you're Ashkenazi, Nebuch, so then we, uh, we don't like spicy foods and we don't eat kidneyos. I guess those are our two things. Um, so there, you know, uh, better to be machmir if you could, but if you, you know, certainly for an adult if you could, but uh, even for kids, if it was really necessary, I think it would be okay. But again, that's the benefit a lot of times of these lists is that they, there are things that are just as good that are available, so then why not be machmir for that? But as a general rule, I do not think you have to, uh, you know, uh, I think Rabbi Blumenkrantz was a tzaddik, but I think that most people do not agree that his book was necessary. Um, yes, question? I think you need a new one, probably. No, I know. So oh, like, you need to, like, should you not just use the whole thing for, for uh, I don't have one, so I don't know, but uh, it sounds like it probably would be okay. Yeah, I think it's probably fine. I mean, I would get a new head, obviously, but... Uh, yeah. Uh, we, really? Every few months? Every six months. No. Some say three months. Yeah. <laughs> you, you're so stupid. Yeah. 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 yeah, the Gottlieb's do it once a year, pays off time. <laughs> okay, good for you. probably have better teeth than us. Any other questions? For the... If you are going to kosher your countertops, and they are kosherable, can you use the chametz tea kettle or whatever. Oh, Rabbi Tinky has always said yeah. that you can and you use you don't use it for 24 hours and yes. that's the water you use to pour Yes, out. yes, okay. yes, 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 yes. I think Rabbi Tinky Rabbi Gala usually says it. Okay, <laughs> all right. All right.